every lap in under a minute. Every move made to matter. Every decision impacting the outcome of the race. Supercars in Perth. Every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Ticketek. Supercars. Unforgettable. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online, thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. G'day everybody, Aaron Noonan here. Welcome to the V8 Sleuth podcast powered by Timken, a world leader in engineered bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Now before we get into this episode, I wanted to say thank you. Awesome podcast feedback and support. Thank you everybody for getting in touch and letting us know which episode you've loved the most, what you'd like to hear in the future. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out. You'll always get a notification of when our latest episode hits. Tell your mates and Leave a review as well. Always take on the feedback, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, great news too, if you're a father, and for Father's Day you got a copy of our Racing the Lion Holden Illustrated History and Motorsport book, congratulations. If you didn't get one, you can still get one though. If you jump online at our website, it's bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. 400 pages. If you're a Holden Hardcore, this is a book that you must have as we farewell the general from Australian racing this year. Uh, And I tell you what, there's a pile of other books there that will keep you going through as well. So maybe you can put your order in for Christmas with the family, jump on our online bookshop and that will get you what you want for Christmas in 2020. Now my guest on the podcast this week is someone who has driven a few Holdens in her time, Melinda Price. And with Mel... I guess the obvious thing that comes to mind constantly is the Castrol Cougars V8 Supercar Program, and we have a bit of a chat about that in the podcast, but we cover off a lot of other ground. We talk about her day job with Castrol that she was doing at the time that she was racing in the Cougars Program. We talk about her time racing alongside Sam Newman, Sir Jack Brabham, and the legendary circuit designer Herman Tilke. Her battle with breast cancer is one that really you should tune in for. Uh, The great news is she's over the hump and off and rolling out the other side now, but certainly it was a a challenging period of Mel's life that she opens up on. She also talks about coming back to motor racing and falling back in love with the sport after having some time away. She tackles our National Motor Racing Museum couch racer questions and the Motor Focus Top 10 shootout. Now, I chatted to Mel recently over a Zoom call, so here we go. Buckle up. Time to start. Melinda Price on the V8 Sleuth podcast, powered by Timken. Mel Price, welcome to the V8 Sleuth podcast. It's been a while since we've chatted, but uh, we've got heaps to chat about. But first of all, everybody is asking on socials, what are you doing now? What's taking up your time? What are you doing for work? What's going on in, in Mel's world? Oh, look, there's plenty going on. It's all um, obviously a bit less than what was going on at the start of this year. Um, I, I went back to uni a few years ago and I'm a naturopath now. So I have been, um, you know, pursuing that and trying to get involved in, uh, I'd really like to start looking after race drivers from a naturopathic point of view. And I've started to work with a few people, um, with some really good results and stuff. So that's one thing, but I had, um, 
slipped back into the wonderful world of driver training in the last few years since I finished school, uh, which was really enjoyable to uh, be doing those track days and stuff and doing a bit of travelling and stuff. But obviously that all came to a bit of a screaming halt at, uh, halfway through the Grand Prix this year. So there's been a bit of a lack of action up there. Um, so in the meantime, I've uh, the clinic's closed in Melbourne, obviously, as well, so not uh, ticking over many patients. But I've also got some new patients up, up in Queensland. Uh, so working on that at the moment because the uh, Sunshine State up here is still uh, going about its business and so looking for new opportunities in the um, midst of everything else coming to a grinding halt. So for those who don't know, what is a naturopath? What do you do? What do you work with? A lot of herbs involved. What's, what's the story for those who don't know? Yeah, okay. So a naturopath is essentially, I guess, a natural medicine practitioner. So it's just about anything that you might go to a doctor with, you could go and see a naturopath with instead. Obviously not, not absolutely everything. But we just uh, approach things a little bit differently and rather than prescribing pharmaceuticals and things like that, uh, we have herbs and natural medicines and things like that that can often achieve exactly the same results, uh, but obviously without the side effects and things like that. And this is your second go, isn't it, at study? Because many, many moons ago, you've already done the uni thing, but you've gone back for a, another bash at it. What did you study way back when, when you were, I guess, when you were still in carts and the early car racing era? Yeah, so after, as soon as I finished high school, I went to uni and I did a science degree and then I did honours in immunology and I was, I'd moved on to a um, master's and I was doing medical research there at the Alfred when the whole racing thing, which had sort of been parallel with that, started to kick off as well. And it got to the point where I kind of had to choose. They were both pretty, pretty full-on careers and I couldn't do them both, wasn't really doing either of them 100%. So I left my research. But, yeah, look, it's really good now, having done the full circle and come back to naturopathy, um, it's very, very useful now to have all that scientific background and a really good understanding of, um, you know, research and experimentation and stuff like that that's been shown, you know, uh, experiments with herbs and stuff like that that show that things work and all that. So good to have one foot firmly planted on both sides of the fence. Definitely, definitely. Uh, we've got a long list of stuff to talk about because you've done so much in your career of, of motor racing, different cars, different categories. Where did it all start as a little girl? I guess you were what, from a bit of research, I think you were what, nine or 10 when you, when you first started karting? Yes, uh, way back then you had to, had to be nine to start racing go-karts in Victoria. Um, so, yeah, so I was nine. I think you can start at seven now maybe even six, but yeah, so nine years of age, but long before that, of course, my father used to race and all of my uncles and stuff like that. So um, uh, lots of genes in the family and I was essentially the eldest son. So mum used to pick me up from school a couple of nights a week, long before I was able to get my license and dad would be at the track with the cart ready to go and my helmet and my race suit would be on the back seat and, and I didn't find out until she picked me up if the helmet and suit were there, we were going to the track that day. <laughs> Always a good uh, good sign when you uh, when you see that. Now, we should explain a little bit to our listeners because there's a few prices here, there, and everywhere in in motor racing. Your dad, Dave, did plenty of racing in his time. Has been around the sport for a long time. Tell, there's Drew Price, Shane Price. Who's who's connected to who? Where? Where? Why? And how? <laughs> so there were lots of brothers. Uh, my dad and his older brother was Trevor, and Trevor's Drew's father. 
And then Dad had, they had a younger brother as well, Barry, and Barry and Dad used to race and share cars a lot. Uh, but, yeah, so Trevor was their older brother and Drew's his son and obviously then Drew's got two sons who were a Bart who runs the go-kart business now and Shane who, who raced with Larry and did supercars in, in the past. I was going to say that's a good segue into talking about the next topic. Okay. Of all, the, of all the racing that you've done... And all the stuff that you've done, you are best known for your time in V8 supercars with the, the Castrol Cougars program, 1997 and 98. I've got a feeling in the world we live in today, 2020, that the concept of an all-female V8 supercar team would be absolutely a huge news story, but I don't think it would go down well if they were called the Cougars. <laughs> well, it's funny, actually. Uh, when we were the Castrol Cougars, I think it was just before uh, uh, Cougars actually got its new meaning. so it seemed quite innocent at the time but uh looking back yeah it probably doesn't work anymore (laughs) how did that project program all start how did you get involved did you get a phone call how did that all kick off yeah i just got a phone call um i think it might have been from i can't even remember who but obviously uh larry and russell were there involved and i'd known russell through karting and stuff obviously he was racing when i was growing up racing as well and we knew him and and each other but yeah just got a call to say that they were wanting to put together a team of females and did I want to come out and and have a test and obviously I was the first one there an hour and a half early (laughs) um but but yeah so a a bunch of us went out to Calder one day and the car was there and the transporter and it was all pretty exciting and Larry gave us all one of his old racing suits all various different Castrol suits and this and that to try on and they strapped us in and off we went. So it's pretty exciting. So that was just a test? There was no lock-in of a deal or did it come from that? Or uh... well, So there started, there was Karen and myself that day and then the two other ladies who had come from more of a sports person celebrity background. There was Michelle Falke and Kim Watkins who had both, um, I think, you know, done some impressive stuff in the celebrity race at the Grand Prix. So they were there as well and we all had a drive and I think, um, you know, probably no great surprise and certainly probably not to anybody that's listening to this that you sort of can't really jump from a celebrity race into a supercar uh, with, with no previous, you know, upbringing in racing and stuff like that. So, you know, Karen and I obviously popped out the other end of that bit more favorably than the others and got the job and what was the job so you guys shared a car for a couple of seasons you paired up for for the endurance races as well so was this a case where you could be a professional race driver or were you still working how did that all unfold uh look it it definitely wasn't uh, you know back in those days not a lot of people were getting not a lot of drivers were getting paid and there were still a lot of privateers that were racing that were funding their own racing so there wasn't uh and obviously we were driving for larry too. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't uh bucket loads of money floating around or anything like that but it was a castrol initiative um and i was uh already working in the automotive industry so they offered me a job and i worked as a castrol rep in melbourne for um for that whole time and a bit after that so um that was really good because obviously I had um you know the flexibility that my my employer was very motor racing understanding and then we did a lot of marketing stuff together so that yeah so I had that that job as well 
how were you received? Were you, did you did you feel like you were treated as a novelty, or did the other competitors treat you as as the real deal? How were you, how were you? And it's a very different time. I mean, nineteen ninety seven, what twenty twenty three years ago, the world's changed a fair bit since then. But what was the reaction when you rolled into your your first driver's briefing? I think it was what Perth in nineteen ninety seven. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, you know, these people that that I'd watched on TV and looked up to and admired my whole life and, I, you know, I couldn't even believe I was sitting in the same room as them, let alone, you know, on the grid in the same race. Um, look, it's a, there was a big range of um, obviously ages between all the drivers back then as well. There was a couple of older drivers that, that let's say, probably had a little bit more of an old-school more chauvinistic kind of opinion about the whole thing. But all, a lot of the young guys that were coming through knew me from carts and I'd raced against them for years and I was just another driver, you know. I'd done my time and was just, you know, trying to have a crack like everybody else. So a little bit, uh, you know, a, a bit of both, but overall pretty good. But, um, you know, in terms of um, the fans and stuff like that, like it felt like when we were at Bathurst for the first time, and there obviously hadn't been any girls competing in, in touring cars for a long time. It was like every single woman and daughter and kid that was at the track wanted to come past and say hello and give us a thumbs up and say how, and a lot of the guys as well, obviously. But, you know, I think that from a motorsport fan point of view, everybody loved it. Tell me too about, I, I read a little story, a few years ago we did a story with you on the Supercars website and you talked about that first round. So basically... Karen Brewer did the first ever Castrol Cougar round. She got the first crack at Lakeside and then you had a go at uh, Wanneroo in, in, in Barbagallo, yeah. Barbagallo, that's right. Yeah. Um, but there was a weird scenario where it had been raining. Um, but you were, I think you were on slicks and you were a lap down, but because the weather changed and your tyres started to come to the fore, uh, you looked like you were driving around in third place right behind the fight for the lead having a wow of a time. Yeah, well, that was pretty exciting. We were sitting on the dummy grid waiting to go out and, you know, I'm strapped in the car. Obviously, you've got your helmet, your net and all that kind of stuff. So you can't see anything out the window, let alone the sky. And we were down at the other end of the pits to Larry and Russell. Um, And so I had me and my little pit crew in my car and they're saying to me, what do you want to do? What tyres do you want to put on? And I'm like, how would I know? Um, You know, what's everybody else got on? And someone said slicks. And I said, well, let's do that then. So we went out on slicks and lo and behold, everybody else didn't have slicks on. A lot of them had wets on and it was quite wet. So at the start of the race, I was in struggle town, but it did stop raining and start to dry out. And Larry, and I think it was either JB or Dick, but they were in first and JB. So first and second and racing for the thing. And they've come around to lap me and uh, all of a sudden, you know, the, the track's dry and there's a nice dry line and, and I'm starting to catch them again. And I'm thinking, whoa, how good is this? Just sort of in my mind, pretending I'm in third place till I nearly got a bit close to Larry's bumper at one of the braking markers and thought, better just not punt the boss off in your first race and sort of drop back a bit. But yeah, it was, you know, even though we were on different tyres and stuff, being out there for the first time and kind of being as fast as those guys in that situation was pretty exciting. Did you ever cop? a Larry spray? Did he, did he water them down for the girls or did you get treated the same as the other drivers would have? Uh, no, he didn't water them down at all, I'm sure. Um, yeah, look, you know, if you did something wrong, um, you heard all 
about it. But luckily for me, I grew up with the, you know, my dad was a grumpy old man and every time I did something wrong in go-karting, he screamed and yelled and no one would come near us in the pits for 15 minutes if I'd had a bad race until his rant was over. Um, all constructive criticism, of course. But, you know, so I was a bit of an expert in dealing with grumpy old men. So it was water off a duck's back to me. <laughs> I think he did make Karen cry a couple of times. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, I'm the first to say don't, don't wrap, it, wrap it up in cotton wool. You know, we're there to do a job and if you do something wrong, you need to be told. I think a lot of people forget too that the, the Cougars car, although it was a Larry car, it was run by Perkins Engineering, Actually, that car was the 1995 Bathurst winning car from a few years earlier. But you were you ran as a privateer in essence. You were level three on the privateer tyres, and you actually had the Holden engine, didn't you? Not the Chevy. Yeah, yeah, we did. I think in our in our second Bathurst, uh, we might have been the only car as well with the Holden engine. Well, but yeah, yeah, I mean, sorry, yeah, yeah, different tyres, different. Um, yeah, there was there were a few differences. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. But when you look at the results, I mean, you didn't do a full-time program. You shared, in essence, a part-time program. It's not like the car did absolutely every round the whole way through then. But then you you did Bathurst two years in a row. You were 12th in 1997 from the back of the grid, and we'll talk about why you were starting down the back of the grid in a minute, uh, <laughs> and, and 11th the following year, which still remains the, uh, the best um, all-female uh, result at Bathurst for an all-female combination. So you, you're very much in the history books there. But it wasn't your first trip to Bathurst, was it? You'd been there a few years earlier. Well, yes, yeah. I'd actually done quite a few Bathurst prior to that. I did a couple of the production car races at Easter um, when I, you know, very first started back in, back in the mid-'90s and um, uh, done the 12-hour race there as well. But, yeah, in the last year that the two-litre cars ran with the five-litre cars, I was there in a Toyota Corolla. But you didn't get a drive, though, did you? Well, I got to do some practice, but, yeah, didn't make it to race day. Sadly, uh, sadly, the first person that jumped in the car had a bit of an accident and it was terminal. So it took you three years to get back to, to racing at Bathurst in the 1000. Tell me about that first trip there with the Cougars because in qualifying, I seem to recall, it didn't go as you would have hoped. Yeah, no, I got... Uh, Yes. <laughs> Coming up into turn two, yeah, I um, got, got one of the rear wheels over the curb there and it flicked me around into the, um, into the wall on the other side. So that was, uh, you know, we made the news that night, but for all the wrong reasons. Um, so, yeah, look, that was pretty, pretty disappointing. But, I mean, luckily it was just practice and the, the TAFE guys, as usual, come to the rescue and, and do an awesome job um, helping repair cars and things like that when stuff happens. Um, I remember Larry saying to me, go down and talk to John Stevenson about the car and tell him we need some more panels and this and that and whatever. Um, but, yeah, look, it, it didn't, um, you know, that was a bummer, but as long as it all ends, ends well on race day, I guess, you know, we're out there having a go and sometimes that happens. 
it ended pretty well in race day because Larry and Russell won that year's race, the Primus 1000 Classic, and, and you and Karen finished 12th. So I would have thought that if Larry was going to be happy any day, that would have been the day of all days. <laughs> yeah, well, I would have thought so too, better. I don't know. <laughs> Long time ago now. Time Look, ago. it was it was a pretty exciting, you know, obviously being part of the team and part of the the whole group and part of Castrol, um, it was certainly a pretty exciting night in the garage that night. Uh, you know, everybody was wrapped. We were stoked. I mean, I think Bathurst is one of those events, as much as we're all competitive and want to do well, it's still a massive achievement just to be there at the end because there's always so many cars that aren't. Um, so, yeah, uh, to be where we were and I think second or third privateer. So, in you know, relative terms in, in the race that, you know, we thought we were competing in. Um, yeah, we were wrapped. The race within a race. We don't have it these days anymore in the, the Bathurst 1000. It's, uh, everyone's in the same class and that's kind of it. But that, that program lasted for two years, Mel, and then I, I guess because these things are um, uh, marketing programs and there's budgets involved, I guess it ended, I presume, because the two years were up and there were other things that Castrol wanted to do. Was that the scenario? Well, yeah, there was no kind of... Um you know, big uh, discussion about it or why or anything like that. But you're right, it was probably just that's what it was going to be and that's what it was. Is it frustrating a little bit that I said at the start that everyone, when they think of you or when we raise your name in terms of the questions that we were asking our fans to send in, that the, the vast majority is, is Cougar stuff when you've done so many other things in your racing career? Or do you take it as a bit of a, a badge of honour that you, you're remembered and that people are um, fond of um, the memories of, of that period and that program? Oh, look, I think that, um, you know, in terms of what I've done, touring cars was obviously, it still is the, the pinnacle of racing in Australia. So... Uh, competing in that category is going to give you more uh, recognition and publicity, et cetera, et cetera, than anything else. So it's no surprise that that's, you know, that, that more people know about that. And obviously they have such a big fan base that that would be the thing that more people would know about compared to everything else that I might have done. So, um, no, no, I'm, I'm happy. It's obviously, uh, you know, even just to to get to that level as a young kid, it's sort of something that you just dream of. So absolutely, um, you know, very grateful for the opportunity to be there and do that and loved every minute of it. I still see Castrol Cougars posters popping up on eBay. So they're, they, they got them for free back in the day at the racetrack and they're charging 10 and $20 for them now. Oh, really? Well, I've got a few packets still at home. Maybe, uh, you know, times get tough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if we see that the eBay username is M Price Racing, then we know where they came from. Hey, take me back to um, what was your first car race? So my first car race, I was at uni. Um, I'd actually wanted to leave school um, at the end of high school and be a mechanic. And Dad wouldn't let me. He insisted that I needed to go to university and said, I'll buy you a racing car when you finish uni. So I'm at uni and uh, I come home from uni one day and mum goes, oh, Gary Rogers rang for you today. He wants to know if you'd like to drive at Bathurst. And they were good family friends of ours. Uh, but I'm like, yeah, good one, mum, very funny. But it was actually true. So uh, Gary was putting together a team of uh, four ladies and we went and did the 12-hour race in a Nissan Pulsar. So I had my first race to get my licence out at Sandown in the little Pulsar. It's prior to my first Bathurst. Yeah. 
Uh, the mighty Triple S gave Craig Lowndes his first Bathurst opportunity in a in an Easter 12-hour as well. And I think, didn't you drive that car with Steve Richards later on and you finished second in the Winton 6-hour? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Should have won probably too. That was my fault. Sorry, Steve. Uh-oh. What happened? Oh, look, no, I just, the car was getting quite warm and they said don't let it stall in the pits when we're coming for the change and, of course, it did. So it took a little while to get going and we only lost by a couple of seconds in the end. So probably couldn't, could have had a different outcome, but <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I hate to bring up old war wounds on this podcast because uh, we talk about the good, the bad and the indifferent. Sounds the like way. you love it. Really. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> you can't win them all. No, it's true. We mentioned before about that first Bathurst in the Corolla in, in 94 and he did a bit more two-litre racing. That was one of the old Colin Bond Toyota Corolla Seeker Caltex cars. And I checked the video during the week of it barbecuing itself out at Calder Park one night and a very stroppy Mel standing oh. there with her arms crossed looking like she just wanted to just oh. disappear into a hole. Uh, how did that whole little program come together? Well, that was all put together by, by a, a good friend of mine, Derek Bode, who um, I'm not sure where he got the idea from, but Inspired Racing was obviously the team name and he was working with, the people at Box Hill Tape, and they were developing a course for people to try and as a feeder course for people who wanted to get involved to be pit crew mechanics, whatever, in motor racing. Uh, so the team was, ba- the car was based out at the TAFE and the people that were there were, were part of the team working on the car and stuff like that. And, um, you know, it was really good. He had Peter Brock as the team mentor. So Brocky would come down to to the TAFE and obviously whenever we were at the track and especially I remember my first Bathurst, um, you know, I would come down after every session and see how I'd gone and if he saw me on the track, he'd come in and give me some feedback about this corner and make sure you don't do this here and and all that kind of stuff. So that was a great team and, look, we were, um, you know, things were pretty tough back then and obviously funding was at a, a, you know, not great. And so we did have our fair share of dramas and things like that in the races, but, um, you know, still fantastic memories. When things are going, going good, they're good, and when they're not, they're not. But I remember catching, catching on fire on the grid at um, Calder Park that day, and I remember actually, I think, at the time, the TV camera zooming into my um, helmet, and I've obviously gone, <laughs> and the commentators looked and said, well, I don't know if anyone can lip read out there, but I think she's saying fire. <laughs> <laughs> Four-letter words starting with F. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, that was awesome. We raced that car up at Indy, which was a fantastic event to be part of. Um, and so, yeah, just a good experience. So through that whole time, are you thinking, I want to make a career out of being a racing driver or... I'm happy to race wherever I can, however I can, and what will be, will be. Oh, look, in a perfect world, if you could have, um, you know, got, got, got the gig at one of the top teams and whatever and been paid to race, that would have been a dream come true. I mean, I think that um, it, things were just a bit different back then. And when I look back now, I think that, you know, the, the emphasis wasn't there on on 
health and fitness and support and nutrition and mental stuff and chasing money and there were a whole range of skills that I probably needed that I didn't have then I just and I didn't sort of have anybody to say hey you need to do this so I kind of you know didn't lose direction but probably possibly could have um you know done things a little bit better but you know I I was lucky enough to go from drive to drive to drive so as one thing finished there was always something else that came along for a very long time so I was very lucky as well nice segue there because I was going to ask you about the Kmart program the the vector and and that stuff so did that come because you'd built a bit of a connection to Holden from the Cougars program Oh, look, I would certainly think so. And I'm not sure how the whole, you know, beauty and the beast thing came about with Sam Newman. But I guess at that time he was, you know, his popularity was probably at an all high and he was, you know, he was Sam Newman. So I guess to have him racing with a girl because he was, you know, that that was his reputation was a, a perfect suit. So, again, I guess good to be me at that point in time. How'd you get along with Sam? Is he different from how people mostly knowing from the TV versus when he's not on the TV? Yeah, look, I think he, he's got that personality at the time of, you know, that was his reputation. That's what people loved and that's who he was. But in like, we, we're good, we were great mates back then. And honestly, it was two of the funniest years of my life, travelling around the country racing with him, like just laughing nonstop because he's so witty and so funny. And every state you went to for a race, you know, you'd be walking along the street at night to go out for dinner or something and women would just throw themselves at him. Um, and, you know, some people love him. They, they hated him in South Australia and people would just see him and flinging salts and other people would come running up screaming girls. And it was just, it was hilarious. It was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, normally racing a production car Vectra uh, might be a, a bit of a, a gig that not everyone's aiming for, but when you can turn it into so much fun in two years, it's probably a good thing. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you're driving. You'd probably always like to be going faster. Um, but, you know, just, just to be racing and, and have a championship and a gig and a car for the whole year was, um, you know, a pretty good feeling as well. There was another V8 supercar opportunity that came along where you did a bit of racing for the Ultra Tune team, which was a, a privateer V8 supercar team in, uh, I think, late 99. You did the Enduros with them and you did Bathurst the following year in their uh, their older model car. And then I thought you were supposed to, from my memory, that you were going to be full-time with them. How did the, the Ultra Tune thing happen? And they always seemed to be a team that was on and off and in and out. Mick Donoher was driving one minute, then he wasn't. Then he was in, then he was out. There was, it seemed like there was lots of chopping and changing going on from my, my recollection. What's your recollection of the, the whole ultra tune era that you were connected to there? Yeah, look, to be honest, it probably wasn't the best experience of my life. I mean, again, grateful to have a drive and stuff like that. But, yeah, you're right, the, the plans and certainly what I thought the plans were going to be weren't the way that things turned out. Um, and, you know, in the end, I actually found found an article, I think, the other day when I was going through some of my old stuff uh, that was obviously at the time that we agreed to part ways and they were slagging me about this and I was slagging them about that. But, you know, at the end of the day, it just, the team didn't continue and they never really had the budget and dedication to commit to the whole season. So people came and went and, like you said, drivers came and went and there wasn't a lot of testing and, you know, it just 
just didn't turn out probably the way that any of us wanted it to. But still, two more Bathursts, um, you know, happy to be there. (laughs) (laughs) Was that kind of where the supercar thing sort sort of ended for you and there wasn't another opportunity after that? Yeah, look, it, it, obviously that was the, the last time that I drove one. Well, except for, of course, a couple of years ago in Keith Linnell's old uh, a Super Cheap Falcon in the demonstration race there. Anyway, um, yeah, look, that was, that was the last time I drove one and I guess it was probably almost about the time that, that I called it quits for a while and decided that I needed to have a break. Um, I'd been racing for a long time and done a lot of things and you know, had a few bad experiences Um, and I guess things just sort of got to the point in my mind where there was probably a bit more about it at that time that I didn't like than than what I was getting out of it. And so, yeah, I had that break. When you talk about bad experiences, what what were the bad experiences that, or is it just a combination of a whole pile of little things that just add up or was there one in particular? (laughs) Oh, you know, it's... um, It can be challenging being the only girl in a world full of guys Um, and, you know, people people talk, people make up stories and they say things and even when they're not true, it's still pretty hurtful and whether that comes from a place of a jealousy or whatever it is, I don't know. But, you know, a lot of this kind of stuff. And I think for, from my memory, we always kept in touch even when you weren't in, in racing. So you spent some, a fair bit of time as a, as a sales rep, didn't you, for, for automotive brands, for, for Autobahn and for Gary Dumbrell's business. So you spent a lot of time doing that. Yeah, so I, I um, had worked for a, a lot of the companies under that umbrella, Wins and the Aftermarket Company, a, as well as Autobahn and Autopro. Um, so, yeah, when I, I decided to sort of go out on my own when I, when I stopped racing and moved up to Canberra, to start one of our one of those companies up there, so I set that up and everything was going fantastic. And then moved down to uh, Albury and did the same thing with all the car dealerships in Albury and Wagga Wagga. And then I'd moved to Batemans Bay to do the South Coast, um, and was sort of ma- looking after that whole area. It was sort of the bit that was left where the Victorian people didn't want to travel that far north, and the New South Wales people didn't want to travel that far south. So I grabbed the bit in the middle. Um, and life was pretty good. Um, and, you know, I was sort of up there doing my thing and taking over the world and, and essentially, you know, working for myself and it was really good. Um, and then got pregnant uh, with Lily and then got sick and, and then, yeah, that sort of was when it was time to come home for me. We'll get back to the podcast in just a moment. But I wanted to quickly tell you about our good friends at Timken a world leader in engineered bearings and mechanical power transmission products and services. Now, you might know their name and you might recognise their logo, but did you know that Timken bearings are used in the centrepiece of one of the most stunning stadiums in the world of sport? The $2 billion, yes, billion dollar Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta features a retractable roof that is a work of incredible engineering. It features eight triangular roof panels, or petals as the designers call them, that slide open and close in the same way that a camera shutter does. Each petal weighs almost 500 metric tonnes and when the roof is closed, each petal cantilevers over 60 metres from the outer edge of the stadium. Now despite the weight, the size and the complexity of the design, the roof can be closed in just over 7 minutes and open in just over 8 with Timken's tapered roller bearings used to ensure each petal 
move smoothly. The stadium's home to the Atlanta Falcons NFL team and the Atlanta United Major League Soccer team, and in 2019, it hosted the crown jewel of American football, the Super Bowl. We'll bring you more cool facts about Timkin in each episode of the V8 Sleuth podcast through the course of the year. Now, it's back to the podcast. And when you say got sick, you didn't just get normally sick. You, you ended up with, with cancer while you were pregnant. So one thing tough enough, and I've never been pregnant, so I could not felt that <laughs> feel. But it, it's a tough enough process on its own just to be pregnant, to, to go through that, to, to have a child. But to do it while um, dealing with cancer, I can only imagine how terrible that, that was, but you've, you've forged your way through it. I mean, obviously, that's when you're nine months pregnant. That's the last thing you want to hear um, is is you've got cancer. And it, it was, you know, it was sort of the, the worst day and the best day of my life all in the same day because the doctor said in the morning when I went in and you know, my belly's out here and he said, all right, well, you've got breast cancer. And then he said, okay, go home and digest that and pack your bags and go to the hospital because we're going to induce the baby today so that we can operate on you. Um, so, you know, best and, best and worst day all in the same day. Um, but, you know, I, I think in everything that happened after that surgery, then I had my first surgery when Lily was one week old and then had another one three weeks after that. Then chemo started and radiation and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I think... The one good thing is that the whole way through that, I never really had a second to to feel sorry for myself or down in the dumps because I had this beautiful little baby that I'd wanted my whole life there to just put a smile on my face all day, every day. So was there any history of cancer in your family? Or did you twig that you was anything was wrong? I think it's always good where someone like yourself who's been through an experience like this and there might be someone out there listening who um, might take away a little bit from this for, for them to keep an eye out for or for them to keep an eye on with their wife even or their, their mm-hmm. sister or their mum or anything like that. But was there any history? Was was there any warning? Were there any signs? What was, what was the scenario? Well, there, there wasn't. I was feeling amazing actually. I absolutely loved being pregnant. Um, but I did feel the lump in my breast. And uh, obviously a lot of cancers are sensitive to um, hormones and, stimu- and that stimulates their growth. And mine was one of those, very sensitive to estrogen. And obviously you have loads of that floating around when you're pregnant. So it was growing quite fast. But I felt it. And I remember saying to the uh, midwife on one of my checkups, you know, I've got this lump in my breast and whatever. And she said, oh, I wouldn't be too concerned, you know. Uh, your breasts change a lot when you're pregnant and blah, 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 and kind of dismissed it. And I just felt like it wasn't right. It was there and it hadn't been there last time I checked and, and whatever. So I, um, you know, booked myself in to go and see the specialist and they sort of got onto that straight away. So now things, this was what, the best part of nearly 10 years ago now? Yeah, yeah. So Lily's nine and a half. So, um, yeah, April, April 2011. No issues, no problems. It's all been clear ever since. Yeah, yeah. So we're all good now. I get my official, um, apparently after 10 years, you get dismissed as a patient and kind of officially diagnosed as um, as a cured or whatever. Uh, so that's April next year. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that. But, no, I, I feel fantastic, probably healthier now than, than I've ever been. No, good to hear. We like hearing this. There was a period of time, I guess, where you were there, you were off working, you were busy, and you were busy having a baby and dealing with cancer. And 
at where did the motor racing thing, it's like this bug and it might go away for a little while, but it never goes away and it comes back. When did it come back for you and how did it come back for you? Well, when I moved, I moved back to Melbourne, obviously with the diagnosis and Lily and everything. And I um, uh, have a house with my father and he works on, um, you know, he, he's, he lives and breathes motor racing and has his whole, whole life. If he's not there working on something or whatever, he's watching every single thing that's on TV with an engine, like boats, bikes, cars, everything. Um, and so he, he um, mechanics uh, for a good family friend of ours that has a, a races in historics, has a Formula Junior. And uh, Kim had gone overseas um, and so the, the car was sitting at the factory and I was not long out of treatment and Dad and I were living in Edith Vale. Um, and anyway, he came home one day and said, oh, you know, Kim's gone to Europe for six months, but the Lotus is there and he said that we can use it if we want to while he's gone. And I sort of looked at him and said, what do you mean, me drive it? And he said, yeah. I went back upstairs and kind of slept. I was, oh, I'll have a think about it. Had to sleep on it anyway. Next thing you know, you know, the following Friday, we're off to Winton with the car on the trailer. And, you know, I hadn't driven, I don't know, it must have been probably close to 10 years. I don't know. My time frames aren't that good. But I'm in the car and I was quite big from still all the weight from the treatment and the drugs and I had no hair and I was so weak from, from chemo and all that. And I've gone out in this car and I'm driving around the track and it was awful. It was so bad. Couldn't change gears, just couldn't get it all happening. And, you know, race cars like to go fast. Nothing works properly if you're going slow. It's even harder. And it was just awful. And I'm driving around and going, oh, my God, I can't drive anymore. Um, so we came in and did a few more sessions. And we, the second one was equally as bad. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, that's it. So anyway, by the end of the day, it sort of started to fall into place. Um, and so we sort of kept at it and, and ended up doing a couple of races in, in historics. Absolutely loved it. Um, and it's sort of, yeah, then I was hooked again. It's the bug that bites. You just can never get away from it. It got you back, got you back. <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. We, and we saw you end up in, um, was it 2017, Touring Car Masters in a, in a Falcon XAGT that Leanne Tander had actually previously raced. I remember that car really, really well. How did that scenario for you to end up in a, a TCM car come about? Um, well, you know, I'd started going to the races and JB is always out at the historics, you know, driving, uh, you know, I think any weekend in, in the country that there's a race meeting on, he's there driving something. Um, and so he was there driving and uh, we'd always been pretty good mates and he's a good supporter of mine. Um, so we were just hanging out at the historics and stuff like that. And he kept saying, you should do TCM, you should do TCM. And, you know, I'm saying by then I was completely addicted again and I'm, I'd love to do TCM. So, um, you know, he had a, a good part in, in um, you know, me getting, that, getting off of that car to drive at Winton, which was the first time that I drove it. Um, and, and yeah, then I, you know, was sort of able to get some sponsors together and custom plates came on board and a few other people. And so, um, you know, did that Winton round was my first one when there was that horrific crash off the start, um, and cars and things went flying everywhere. And I stopped with about 10 centimeters to spare. Um, but yeah, managed to pull it together to do Sandown and Bathurst again, uh, you know, later on that year, which was pretty awesome because it was actually the 20th 
anniversary of the Cougars first Bathurst, which makes me sound as old as I am. <laughs> but um, so that was pretty cool. You know, it was awesome to be back at Bathurst. So good to be driving there again. Were you supposed to drive with JB around that time in a GT car as well? <laughs> well, yeah, that was um, that funny little Bentley thing that kind of, I don't know, some guy was talking to JB and talking to me and we were going to, you know, run the Bentley and all of that. But, um, yeah, it, uh, nothing, nothing ever came of that. And I think that um, not sure what happened um, not sure what happened to him, but no, the car actually never made it. I mean, we never made it to the track. I went and sat in it a few times and we sat there and looked at it and talked about how cool it would be. Uh, but yeah, it uh, didn't. When it came to dollars and cents uh, time, turns out there wasn't any. Uh, one of a million stories of uh, coulda, woulda, shouldas and didn'ts in World yeah, that's right. There's a few of them. Hey, you also got to do something really cool that I think a lot of people have probably forgotten about, but you can say that you drove in a race with Sir Jack Brabham. Yeah, that was um, super, super cool. Um, yeah, Ross Palmer was uh, generous enough to take me over to the Nürburgring a couple of times. Um, we did the 24-hour race over there. And then, yeah, him, him Jack and I did the uh, six-hour race, which is a few weeks after that. Um, and that was just, you know, even... Um, you know, being in his presence or anything like that is cool enough, but having your name on the window of a car next to, you know, in the same window as his was awesome. So, um, yeah, that was that was an incredible weekend. And I think that, that hippies-backed V-Dub Beetle is still around. I think uh, Keith Linnell, who you mentioned before, owns it in Melbourne, and he was the guy that put you back in a supercar a couple of years ago down at Phillip Island. For, the, uh, for those who don't know, there's a a five-litre touring car association that have, a, a bunch of car owners of the older supercars who've kind of got together and got them out on the track at some historic events and, and stuff like that. So have you driven that Beetle again or do we have to reunite you with that one as well? No, I have actually. Um, you, you'll find it on Facebook somewhere. We did, uh, after Keith bought the car, we did take it out to Sandown and do a few laps one day. So, yeah, that's pretty cool to, um, to have that back again. What was, uh, what was old Jack like? I mean, clearly he was well past his professional career at that point, but did he still have it? Was he good fun to be around? Or Oh, yeah. I remember um, I was talking about it the other day. I remember when we were there um, and we're at the Nürburgring and obviously he's, uh, he knows the track extremely well. So on one of the practice days, he was taking me for a lap in the Beetle. So he was driving and I'm in the passenger seat and I'm just like, jumping out of my skin thinking, how cool is this? Um, and, you know, it's an eight or nine-minute lap or something like that. Um, anyway, so we take off and just as we're leaving the pits, he, he looks over at me with this big smile and goes, not very often these days I get to give a young girl. No, what did he say? Not very often these days I get to make a young girl squeal. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, off we went and I could tell I'm sitting there thinking I'm going to be so cool. I'm not going to hold on or anything like that. Like this is Jack Brabham. He knows the track and I'm sitting there trying to be super cool and I, and I could tell that he was trying to, you know, 
get get me going and so at one point we came up over a blind crest and he obviously knew exactly where we were and I didn't so he went flying over the grass and I was like oh grabbing onto the thing and I turned over and he's just looking at me pissing himself laughing like he you know we've popped back onto the track perfectly over the other side um yeah so no that was awesome it was great fun reminds me too that you did a bit of uh 24-hour racing in Australia so you were you did both the years of the, the Bathurst 24 hour, didn't you? One year in a Honda S2000 and then in a, a, a Porsche the next year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was a great race. Loved that. Um, and drove with Herman Tilke. Um, so that was, you know, just another amazing experience as well. But that was a terrific event. I love, you know, love the 24 hour Bathurst. Driving at Bathurst at night time is just something else. Got a funny feeling we're not going to see a 24-hour race at Bathurst anytime soon because it's a, a huge expense, a massive amount of money that, that Ross and Procar put up back in those days. And, mm. um, yeah, the likes of which I don't think we'll see again. So I think you're going to be in the history books as being one of only X amount of drivers who did every Bathurst 24-hour ever held. I think you're going to be holding on to that record for a fair while yet, just, just quietly. Oh, good, good. I mean, it was such a cool event and so popular, you know, much like the the 12-hour now, but with international drivers and stuff like that. So it was just such a such a great thing to be part of. Hey, I know you've done a bit of research too before we did this podcast because we put the call out to our listeners uh, and our readers uh, through our Facebook page for questions. Not normally do our guests go and read them all before we do them. <laughs> so... <laughs> I wanted to be prepared, Aaron. Well, you've, you've done a very good job. You're in front of every other guest I've ever had on this podcast because I don't think they've been as prepared as you have. Well, Let's see, follow- someone sent me a screenshot of the thing last night of you asking and I thought, oh, I better better get on my game there and do some prep. <laughs> <laughs> you've done well. Uh, we call it our National Motor Racing Museum Couch Racer Questions. Uh, yep. National Motor Racing Museum up at Mount Panorama Bathurst is... Uh, uh, a fantastic place to go. At the moment, I can't go there because I'm in Melbourne. I'm not allowed to go anywhere. So unless they have the uh, museum in a five-kilometre radius of my home and they serve food where I can have lunch there, I don't think I'm going to any museums anytime soon. But if you're in the New South Wales, uh, Greater West area, make sure you pop in. Uh, first question on our Couch Racer questions, Mel, is from Bradley David. And there were actually about four or five people who asked about this. How was it being a part of the ABC documentary In the Pits from when you drove for the Cougars. So there was a doco film with uh, yourself, Larry, Chris Smurden, I think was in it there for a bit. Yeah. Richard Mork famously appeared in yeah. it as well. Tell me about the, the doco because I think that's one that a lot of people have forgotten about. So I think I was driving the Ultra Tune car. You're right, you were. Yeah, too. that yeah. year. Um, yeah, look, I don't know where it came from, but they had the four of us um, uh, and a couple of us were pitted, pitted next to each other and it was just a, you know, they just filmed sort of a life in the weekend at Bathurst kind of thing. And so there was obviously, you know, it was uh, the good and the bad and the arguments and the joys and all sorts of things. So it was, yeah, look, it was it was good, but it was like they were just sort of, you know, in the background, a, a little bit big brother kind of thing. But I think they really captured, um, you know, what the whole experience is, especially in a small team and stuff like that or if things go wrong and whatever. So, yeah, that was really, really cool. Do you still get people asking you about that every now and then? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, people have better memories than I do. 
<laughs> You'd rather the royalties kept flowing, though, I'm sure. That would be definitely a way to remember doing <laughs> something like that. Justin asks, after that 12th place finish at Bathurst in 97 with the Cougars, did any other V8 opportunities come your way outside of what you were doing at, at Perkins Engineering? Was there anyone making phone calls, throwing deals on the table or anything like that? Oh, no, not really. Um, I mean, Holden had the young lines as well, so they had, had their young guys coming through. But we also had the next year to look forward to as well. So, you know, I guess the short answer is no, but I, I wasn't actively looking. But um, Yep, makes sense. Uh, Saren uh, asks, do you still talk to Cameron Brewer these days after you were teammates 20-odd years ago? Do you keep in touch? Look, we, we don't really, but we are friends on social media. Karen lives in South Australia and obviously I've been in Victoria. Um, but we did connect a couple of times because people often uh, would message me via Facebook or something and say, do you know how, to, how I can get in touch with her for whatever reason or sign something? There were those little decks of cards with all the, the touring cars on and stuff like that. So I would I pass on people's details to her and stuff. So we are friends on Facebook. It's not like we, we touch base and have a chat or anything like that. But, um, you know, as they say, your teammate's always your biggest enemy, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Was it really competitive between you two? Oh, look, no, it wasn't super competitive. It wasn't like, you know, I'll stand on this side of the garage and you're on the other side of the garage. I mean, it's not like we were BFFs either. But, no, we were, you know, we, we just, just got along but haven't really seen her since then. BFFs was not a term in 1997, I've got to tell you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, this is one I forgot about. Philip mentioned, do you remember driving the Team Brock Future Racer at the Pro Car Round Sandown 2004? I think most people have completely forgotten about the Future Racers. They were kind of like a, I guess, like an Aussie race car, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. And, and that was good fun because I'd done the uh, Legends uh, category out at the Super Speedway back in the days of Oscar and NASCAR when, when the Thunderdome was rocking, which was really good fun. So, yeah, I do remember driving that, and it, and it was good fun. Um, next question. Oh, this is a good one. Uh, in fact, this is so good, I'm going to give it our Castrol question of the week. And it, it's appropriate that we've got a, a former Castrol back driver because Castrol support our, our podcast, Mel. But Liz uh, asked the question, what advice would you give females who would like to become a racer? Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, as with, you know, I, it probably wouldn't be that different to what I would say to anybody that wants to become a racer because I, uh, you know, and my dad brought me up to, you know, he was adamant that for absolutely no reason ever would I or should I be treated any differently because I was a girl. And I grew up with that firm belief and that is how I uh, approached things um, and always did things and, and just wanted to be one of the boys. I mean, obviously there are times, um, you know, we, we are different and there are some circumstances perhaps that are unique to you not, uh, you know, not being a boy. But for the most part, you know, it, it requires the same focus and dedication and fitness um, and, you know, health and training and all of those things that anybody uh, needs to, to focus on to, to be the best at what they want to do. I used to write, um, you know, when we were doing our first Bathurst, um, if ever there was a little girl in the pits or anything that would come up with a poster or something like that I would always write girls can do anything because um, I, I think you know and probably more so back then it was a bit of uh, you know there hadn't been any girls for a long time and stuff like that and people 
I doubted whether that was the case. I think certainly now there's so many more young girls coming through in go-karts and stuff like that and through the categories that it's not unusual to have girls in racing and hopefully now they're, they're just other drivers. So, so it's nice to see that generation coming through now. Um, so in, in essence, we're saying girls can do anything uh, as per the autograph. So that's probably on a poster on eBay somewhere along the line from over here. <laughs> oh. uh, but thanks, Liz, for the question. That's our Castrol question of the week. And, of course, Castrol is more than oil. It is liquid engineering. And Castrol provide the, the oils, the fluids, and the lubricants for today and the future for every driver, every rider, and every industry. And you can follow Castrol on Facebook to stay across the latest in Castrol in motorsport, exclusive comps and much, much more. Uh, our next one from Kieran, what's your biggest regret from your time in V8 supercars? Is there anything um, you'd like to go back and change? Look, if I could go back and do my time again, I would, I would leave school uh, and become a motor mechanic which is what I wanted to do because I think the fact that I went on to uni and, and did that, I didn't, um, I would have liked to have been a bit more technical and had that understanding of, of how the car worked and that whole thing because dad really, I wasn't that involved when we were karting. Dad wanted to do it all. I didn't really touch anything. And I feel like if I had it, you know, I would have been a better driver and a better test driver and just uh, I, I kind of wish I had that technical base. And I think, you know, if I could jump in a time capsule as well. I mean, the focus back then, especially with the Cougars and stuff, there wasn't anybody there focusing on our health and our fitness and our strength like that. And I look back now and, and you know, just wish that I, um, you know, definitely could have been a bit fitter and a bit stronger and, and stuff like that and, and probably would have made my life a bit easier. Sure, sure. Uh, Corey State is a regular listener and reader of our salute stuff, and Corey regularly fires in some questions that relate to cuisine. So he likes to just be different. He sends food questions, which I think is a welcome change from all the motorcycles <laughs> we get. Uh, he's got something different every time. This week, though, his question for you, what's your favourite pasta sauce combination? Yeah. I'm actually not eating carbs at the moment, but... If I was too, I am a sucker for an awesome carbonara and also for a marinara. Okay, there we go. He's got the food question. Everyone gets the food question. <laughs> okay. Um, Jeff Bishop asked a question. I know you've pre-read this one. We had Larry Perkins on the podcast earlier in the year and he made some – he chatted about the Cougars program and um, – I think he felt like it came across a little bit the wrong way and he did cover it off in the chat, but in his recollection of mind, he didn't feel it was as, ex as successful as it could have been in terms of on-track results. Clearly from a marketing point of view, we're talking about it 23 years later, so it must have done something right to be in our brain still. What's your reaction? And I, I know you have heard the Larry um, episode. What's your yeah. take? Oh, well, I guess it's... Um I guess it's a little bit disappointing. I mean, I know we weren't up there winning races and stuff like that, but I think that, you know, and you, you don't always want to put your hand up and just be making excuses all day long, but there are a lot of reasons why that was the case. And like, like we said earlier, we were a privateers in a privateer car and we'd only done a handful of racing and we didn't have, you know, a lot of practice and, and, and. But still, at the end of the day, you know, it's racing and, and results are everything. But, you know, I don't really share his view. I think that we were, um, you know, certainly pretty proud of our achievements. Um, 
And I feel like most of the other people that we were involved with, the people from Holden and the people from Castrol and everybody like that, I feel like we really exceeded all of their expectations. So, um, you know, you're never going to please everybody, I guess. I mean, the boss is the most important one to try and please, but he's entitled to his opinion. No, that's true. That's true. We give everybody their say on the V8. <laughs> that's, that's certainly the case. Uh, you've survived the Natural Motor Racing Museum couch racer question, so congratulations. But you're not oh, done with you. you. You're not okay. done. Okay. The Motor Focus Top 10 Shootout comes up next. And, of course, uh, Motor Focus is the home of quality scar models. They stock all the big brands and much, much more. You can visit their website at motorfocus.com.au or stop in and visit them. Unit 9, number one Stockwell Place in Archerfield in Brisbane, Queensland. Uh, you're in Queensland. You can pop in and, and grab yourself a model car while you're there. Maybe I, I will. I don't think they ever did make the Cougars Commodore as a model, did they? Maybe I need to go in there and shake my fist around or something. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> to one of the model car companies to get them sorted. Basically, this is a very fancy form of word association where I say a, a thing, a place, a person, you give me the first thing that comes in your head, one word or two, depending on how many words you need, okay? <laughs> oh, all right then. Uh, all right, I'll start with an easy one. Uh, Sam Newman. Laughing. Well, no, that's it. That's a lame answer, isn't it? Let me. Sorry, you've got. I needed a practice word just to get in the zone. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just seeing women screaming and squawking and stuff when I think about Sam and chasing him down the street. (laughs) That's more than one word I know. We get we get the impression. Um, Jack Brabham. Cheeky. (laughs) Russell Ingle. Ruthless. Ooh, nice. Uh, Larry Perkins. Grumpy. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'll change that to hard taskmaster. Hard but fair most of the time. No, most of the time. Bathurst. Oh, it's heaven. Nürburgring. Mm, Like Bathurst times 10. (laughs) Heaven times 10. Uh, Carding. I love carding. I know it's not one word, but I've just fallen in love with karting again, as you know, in the last couple of years. And, uh, yeah, you know, that's where it all began and I feel like I've done full circle. Love karting. So the word is love then, isn't it? Love, Love. home, happiness. Uh, Cougars. Now now when I look, sorry, you want one word, don't you? Because all I can see is the girl from that five Cougars thanks ad with that T-shirt on. <laughs> so bourbon is the word that comes to mind, right? Well, look, Castro would be the word, isn't it? I mean, they were hand in hand, yeah. Yeah, true, true. Uh, TCM. Love TCM. You used love before. You can't. Yeah, I know, I know. It's like it all feels like home to me again. You know, I've had that break, and now that I'm doing it, and TCM and carding, it's I feel like I've come home. Home. There you go. There's the word. Home. Use that okay. Before. And the last one to finish off with, I think this has got to be your favourite car of all time from the infamous day, night at Calder. What's the word that springs to mind to describe a Corolla Seeker 2 liter? <laughs> fire. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't running that as a loaded question, but you went there anyway and you did fire anyway. <laughs> hey, Mel, it's been great to, to sit down and chat with you. I hope you've enjoyed going back over the course of some memories that you might not have stopped to think about over time. Thank you to all of our uh, listeners and our followers who've sent in some really cool questions. We had a huge response. We couldn't um, 
go through them all. There were so many of them and we only have a certain amount of time. So thank you again. We look forward to seeing uh, when we next see you back at a racetrack sometime soon. And in, in the meantime, while we're all sitting here in lovely Melbourne town, you enjoy that Queensland sun. I will get some sunshine for all of you. Thanks, Noons. <laughs> a big thank you to Melinda Price. That was a great chat. I really enjoyed uh, catching up with Mel. It's been a, a bit of time since I'd spent some time chatting to her and it was great to talk about a, a range of different cars and and times from her, her, her motor racing career. So I hope you really enjoyed this edition of the podcast. Don't forget to, our V8 Sleuth online bookshop is open for business, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. Our brand new Holden book, Racing the Line, 400 pages, the illustrated history of Holden in Australian motorsport and... You can order the new Mark Scaife book, his new um, autobiography, which uh, we've contributed a lot of our photo archive material to. Uh, having a preview of that one, it's uh, it's a good one. If you're a Scaifey fan, uh, jump on board and pre-order that one now. And there's also one we've just released too, the Wellington Street Race, that amazing race in New Zealand in the late 80s and early 90s. Uh, a book has been put together. We haven't put it together, but we are the Australian distributor for that book. So if you're keen on some Group A touring car action and you love the, the Wellington Street street races jump on our online bookshop and order yourself a copy as well as always if you jump on our website you can subscribe to our v8 sleuth newsletter you can follow us on socials facebook twitter instagram all the regular stuff we keep the content flowing in between podcasts so you don't miss a thing in the meantime we're done that's another edition of the v8 sleuth podcast powered by timkin we'll see you next week every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars, unforgettable. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au.